Part two, chapter nine of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part two, chapter nine. The groves by the pond of Agrippa were surrounded by Praetorians, so that the multitude of spectators might not be in the way of Nero and his guests everybody in rome distinguished for wit beauty or intellect thronged to the banquet nothing to equal it had ever been known in the chronicles of the city tigellinus desired to reward caesar for postponing the journey to achaea to excel all who had ever feasted nero and to prove that no one could amuse and entertain him so magnificently to this end while with caesar at naples and later at beneventum he had made his preparations he had sent orders to the remotest parts of the world for beasts birds rare fishes and plants and for such vessels and cloths as would increase the splendor of the occasion the revenues of entire provinces were lavished in the maddest plans the all-powerful favorite had nothing to restrain him his influence waxed greater every day Tigellinus was not more beloved by Nero than others, but he had grown indispensable. Petronius incomparably excelled him in culture, intellect, and wit. His conversation was far more amusing to Caesar. Unhappily he excelled Caesar himself. He awoke the tyrant's jealousy. He knew not how to be a willing tool in all things. When it came to matters of taste Caesar feared his opinion. With Tigellinus, on the other hand, Nero felt no constraint. The very name, Arbiter Elegantiarum, bestowed by the general voice upon Petronius, piqued Nero's vanity, for who save himself deserved the title? Tigellinus had sense enough to recognize his own limitations. Knowing that he could not compete with Petronius, or Lucan, or others who were conspicuous either by lineage, talents, or knowledge, he made up his mind to extinguish them by the loyalty of his services, and by the evocation of a splendor that should dazzle Nero. For the banquet itself he had prepared a monster raft built of gilded beams. Its edges were decorated with exquisite shells, fished from the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, which glittered with all the colors of the rainbow. On every side were groups of palms, groves of lotus, and roses in full bloom. Amidst these were hidden fountains that sprinkled perfumes, statues of gods, and gold and silver cages full of birds of brilliantly varied plumage. A tent, or rather the top of a tent, of Syrian purple, rested on silver columns. Within, the tables prepared for the guests sparkled, like miniature suns, with Alexandrian glass, crystals, and priceless vessels, all plundered from Italy, Greece, and Asia Minor. The raft, which looked like an island garden, was connected by ropes of gold and purple with boats fashioned like fishes, swans, seagulls, and flamingos, wherein, beside painted oars, sat nude oarsmen and oarswomen with forms and faces of marvelous beauty, their hair dressed in oriental modes, or caught in golden nets. On Nero's arrival, with Poppaea and his Augustales on the main raft, where they seated themselves under the tent roof, 
the boats moved the oars splashed into the water the golden ropes grew taut and the raft bearing the banquet and the guests described circles in the pond surrounding it were other boats and other rafts filled with female lute-players and harpists whose pink bodies against the blue background of the heaven and the waters and in the reflections from golden instruments seemed to absorb into themselves this blue and those reflections ever changing and blooming like flowers from the groves on the banks from the gorgeous buildings erected for the day and hidden in the dense foliage resounded music and song all the neighborhood and all the groves responded the echoes scattered around the clangor of horns and trumpets caesar himself with poppaea on one side and pythagoras on the other marveled at the sight and marveled the more when young maids masquerading as sirens and covered with green network in imitation of scales spared no praises to tigellinus but he glanced up at petronius from habit anxious for the opinion of the arbiter the latter bore himself indifferently and only when directly questioned made answer it seems to me o lord that ten thousand nude maidens make less impression than one none the less the floating banquet pleased nero as a novelty moreover such exquisite dishes were served that even the imagination of apicius would have been outdone and wines of so many kinds that otho who was wont to serve eighty would have hidden under the waters for shame if this luxury had been revealed to him besides the women there were only augustales at the tables among all these vinitius was prominent in beauty of yore his face and figure had indicated the soldier by profession but now pain and sorrow had chiselled his features as if the plastic hand of a master sculptor had passed over them his skin had lost the sunburn that had tanned it there remained on it the golden tinge of numidian marble his eyes had grown large and melancholy but his body retained the powerful lines which had always made it seem as if created for armour above the body of a soldier sat the head of a grecian god or at least a refined patrician at once subtle and splendid when petronius had told vinitius that none of the ladies of the court either could or would resist him he spoke as a man of experience all turned their eyes to him even poppaea even the vestal rubria whom caesar had commanded should be invited wines chilled in mountain snows soon warmed the hearts and heads of the guests from out the thickets overhanging the shore shot new boats fashioned like grasshoppers and dragonflies the blue surface of the water seemed as if strewn with the petals of flowers or sprinkled with butterflies here and there above the boats floated doves and other birds from india and africa held fast by threads of silver and blue the sun had already overrun the greater part of the sky though it was now only the beginning of may its rays were warm and even hot the waters rippled with the splash of oars moving in time with the music no breath of air was stirring the groves stood motionless as if lost in contemplation of the sounds and scenes in the water the raft circled continuously on the pond bearing guests who were becoming drunker and noisier before the banquet was half over the order in which the guests had been ranged at table was utterly disrupted nero himself had set the example rising from his couch he ordered vinitius to yield his place which was beside the vestal rubria 
into the ears of the vestal nero whispered in soft tones vinitius found himself next to Papia. she stretched out her arm to him and asked him to fasten her loosened bracelet his hands trembled as he did so from under her long lashes she shot glances as of modesty shaking her golden head meanwhile as with denial the sun grown larger and redder slowly sank behind the crests of the groves most of the guests were now boisterously intoxicated nearer to the shore circled the craft groups of mummers were discovered among the trees and flowers they were disguised as fauns and satyrs they played on flutes bagpipes and cymbals they were surrounded by groups of maidens representing nymphs dryads and hemadryads darkness closed in upon drunken shouts in honor of luna resounding from beneath the tent the groves were lit up with thousands of lamps from the houses standing on the shore shone myriads of lamps on the terraces disported new groups naked like the others consisting of the wives and daughters of the greatest families in rome with voluptuous movements they called to the guests at last the raft touched the banks caesar and the augustales vanished in the groves and scattered themselves through the shameful houses or in tents hidden in the foliage and grottoes artificially made among the springs and fountains madness seized on every one no one knew whither caesar had disappeared no one knew who was a senator who a knight who a musician satyrs and fauns pursued the nymphs with their bacchic staffs they struck at the lamps to extinguish them darkness fell on many parts of the groves everywhere was heard the sound of laughter or shouts or whisperings or the panting of human breasts rome had never seen the like of this before vinitius was not drunk as at the feast in caesar's palace where lygia had appeared but ashamed and bewildered by all that was going on around him the fever of pleasure seized upon him also plunging into the forest he ran around with the others seeking the dryad that might seem to him the most beautiful new groups of naked women fled by him with songs and shouts pursued by fauns satyrs senators and knights music was everywhere at last his eyes caught a band of maidens led by one clad as diana he sprang forward he sought a closer look at the goddess and then his heart stopped in his breast he thought that in that goddess with the crescent moon in her hair he recognized lygia they formed around him in a circling group all frenzied with emotion then as if they wished him to pursue they flew away like a herd of antelopes he stood rooted on the spot his heart throbbed wildly the diana was not indeed lygia at close view she did not even resemble her but the awful fear had exhausted him then there came upon him a longing for lygia such as he had never before experienced a tremendous wave of love surged into his breast never had she seemed to him dearer purer and more beloved than in this moment of madness and debauchery a moment ago he himself could have drunk from this cup and taken part in this dissipation and shameless sensuality but now disgust and abhorrence mastered him he felt himself stifling he needed air and the sight of the stars hidden by these infamous groves he started to fly but ere he could move a veiled figure appeared before him it placed its hands upon his shoulders and pouring its burning breath in his face whispered i love thee come none will see us make haste 
Vinitius awoke as from a dream. Who art thou? She leaned her breast against him and repeated, Make haste, we are alone, and I love thee. Come. Who art thou? Guess. And through her veil she pressed her lips to his, drawing his face to hers, till at length breath failed her, and she snatched her face away. "'Tis a night of love, a night of liberty,' she cried, catching her breath with an effort. "'To-day everything is allowed. Take me!' That kiss burned into Vinitius like acid. It filled him with renewed aversion. His soul and heart were elsewhere. For him in the whole world Lygia alone existed. So thrusting the veiled figure aside, he cried, "'Whoever thou beest, I love another. I wish thee not.' She bent her head. "'Remove the veil,' she said imperiously. At that moment the leaves of a nearby myrtle rustled. The figure vanished like a vision, but as she escaped in the distance her laugh rang back with a strangely ominous sound. Petronius appeared from the thickets. "'I have heard and seen all,' he said. "'Let us go hence,' replied Vinitius. They passed the houses of shame, all gleaming with light, passed the groves and the line of mounted praetorians. Reaching their litters, Petronius said, I will go with thee to thy house. They got into a litter together. Both were silent until they reached the great hall in Vinitius's house. Then Petronius spoke. Knowest thou who that was? he asked. Rubria? queried Vinitius, with a shudder at the very thought, for Rubria was a vestal no who was it then petronius lowered his voice the fire of vesta hath been defiled for rubria was with caesar but she who spoke to thee and he spoke still lower was the divine augusta a hush fell upon them caesar resumed petronius failed to conceal from her his passion for rubria so she may have wished to revenge herself but i interrupted thee for the reason that hadst thou refused the augusta after recognizing her nothing could have saved thee nor lygia nor perchance myself vinitius broke out fiercely enough of rome enough of caesar of banquets of the augusta of tigellinus and the rest of you i am suffocating i cannot live in this way i cannot dost thou understand thou art losing thy head vinitius but she is the only thing i love well what of it just this much i want no other love i want nothing else neither your life nor your banquets nor your shamelessness nor your crimes what ails thee art thou a christian the young man dropped his head in his hands and despairingly cried not yet not yet end of part two chapter nine